Hello and welcome to SD Europe's podcast. My name is Luke Cox. I lead SD Europe's communications. So today, to continue our For a Better Football podcast mini-series, we have the pleasure of speaking with Joanna Deagle, the Managing Director of the Centre for Access to Football in Europe, better known as CAFE. Uh, SD Europe and CAFE have had a constructive relationship over the years, and in this episode, we'll dig a little deeper into CAFE's work. So thank you, Joanna, for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And thanks so much for this opportunity. It's, a, it's such a great idea for, for a podcast and at such a critical time. So I'm really glad that we get to talk and grateful that we get to talk about disability in this series. So thank you. Mm. So before we get into the questions, um, I thought it would be nice just to uh, ask you a little bit about the new cafe branding that's been rolled out this week. Um, you know, it looks absolutely fantastic. So it'd be great to know a little bit more about um, sort of where that sets the organisation going forwards. Yeah, sure. So it was launched on on Monday, um, and we it was it came about because we you know we had we celebrated ten years last year, and and we started thinking about you know, cafe's purpose and the demands we're, we're getting that go beyond football now um, and go beyond Europe and, and how can we accommodate that. Um, and we had some feedback about our logo, which was a bit outdated. People didn't really realise what the logo was or what it meant. Um, so we basically worked with uh, a branding company that specialises in not-for-profit branding. Um, and we had some, they did some interviews with our stakeholders, including disabled fans and UEFA, um, disability access officers, and then worked with the team to, to create this new brand. And essentially the brand sort of encapsulates what we're trying to do with this term total access and what that really means. Because we, from the interviews with external stakeholders, we've, we realized that our tagline total football total access didn't really mean much to people outside of sort of the cafe headspace so we really wanted to use this opportunity to spell that out um, and to show that we are expanding now um, and that we you know total access does mean so many things and so we wanted to to share what that really means to us and, and to disabled people as well um, and we also just wanted to, you know, get with the times and, and make our, our website look better and, and more visual and uh, just a bit more exciting, really. <laughs> no, yeah, as, as, as I said, I think it's, um, it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think it encapsulates, it encapsulates everything that you've said. Um, so, yeah, moving on to um, the first uh, question. Uh, Joe. Um, so to kick things off, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your role at CAFE um, and a bit of a general overview of what the organisation is and what it does? Sure. Yeah. So I'm managing director. I've been at CAFE for just over six years now. I actually started with Level Playing Field, that's, which is Cafe's sister charity that covers England and Wales. Um, they work in not only football, but uh, a lot of other sports such as rugby, athletics, tennis, uh, horse racing, etc. 
Um, but I was quickly moved over to the cafe side of things and was made managing director four years ago. Um, but I'll tell you more about cafe because that's more interesting. So cafe was set up in 2009 upon winning the Monaco prize from UEFA. So we're just over 10 years old. And we were established to support UEFA and its national associations and clubs to improve the matchday experience for disabled spectators. So as I just mentioned earlier, our focus is, is total access and, and I'll explain what that actually means now, but you can also check out our new website and find out more. Um, but so basically total, total access to us means using the power of football to remove barriers so that disabled people can take their rightful places, not only in the game, but also in the wider society. It means making the, the match day not just accessible, but truly inclusive. So this means quality experience as well. And it means giving disabled people a platform to, to share their experience, their feedback, and, and be really integrated into the game at all levels. Um, we're really fortunate that we have a great relationship with UEFA and we have real strong support with them and, and we have the authority to, to work with their 55 national associations and their clubs similar to SD Europe. Um, so we get to provide trainings and guidance and support clubs and national associations in making improvements on a local level. And then on a, on a macro level, on a wider level, we support UEFA's finals to implement sustainable improvements where we can, such as quality sight lines from wheelchairs and spaces and provision of audio descriptive commentary for blind and partially sighted fans. And then finally, we work with disabled fans themselves and support them in establishing pop, uh, sorry, positive dialogue with their clubs or national associations. So there's over 180 disabled supporter associations across Europe now. And uh, six national umbrella disabled supporter associations and the, there's so many amazing stories of what they're achieving with their clubs national associations and even their governments um, that's just it's really really exciting and and I'll, I'll finish this a little bit of with why cafe exists why we do what we do so there's as I'm sure many many of the listeners know there's over 1 billion disabled people in the world today and that figure is expected to double within the next 30 years and in Europe before COVID-19 hit 50% of disabled fans had never attended a live public or sporting event and a third had never traveled or even taken a day trip which is you know, I know in, now in 2020, no one's going to a football match or taking a day trip, but for, you know, pre-pandemic, that's it's just, it's outrageous. Um, you know, going to a football match is is a basic human right. It's, it's such a simple thing. And I think a lot of us who are non-disabled, who don't face barriers, take that for granted. So I think football has also proven to be a real gateway for, for disabled fans. And we have so many amazing stories that where just at simply attending a football match has had a life-changing experience for disabled people. And, and we can't underestimate the power of football in that way. Um, so we, we, we exist to raise awareness around that and hopefully improve the situation for disabled fans in a, in a meaningful and sustainable way. I think that's, you know, you, you mentioned something there and I think those listening will, will not realise that's quite a stark uh, figure. That is a third um, around, uh, you know, g 
going out to day trips and things like this that's quite incredible mm. really you, you know I think a lot of people wouldn't have realized that and I think it just sort of um it really solidifies how important it is what you're doing you know even more so um you know a statistic like that um so moving on from there I think you know you you've touched on it there obviously you know uh, where the world is now we have to talk about um you know the pandemic and how it's been um so I think you know I'm curious to, to hear about how cafe um have experienced the last eight months or so you know a year that's been engulfed by a global pandemic um what have been the biggest challenges for cafe and its network so i'll start with the impact on our work and then i'll talk about the wider network obviously um a lot of cafes work involves traveling around europe assessing stadiums uh, delivering trainings and that's obviously all, all stopped. Um, so in a positive way, it's reduced our carbon footprint, which is great. Of course. Um, and we've had to massively adapt as to how we deliver, continue to deliver these services. Um, and in some ways it's been, it's been negative, you know, it's, uh, I think that in-person contact is so essential in developing relationships, but at the same time, by delivering our trainings and webinars on online it's enabled us to reach a much wider audience and we've been in touch with people who we never would have heard from had had we been continuing to travel around and going physically to, to places um, we're lucky as well at that cafe was used to having weekly calls on zoom before the pandemic so that didn't really change things for us um, but obviously there's there's you know everyone's I think going for a bit of a zoom fatigue because there's so much so much of it so I think I think in all honesty we've all struggled at times as as everyone has but I think yeah we're so so fortunate in that our work is really important so I know speaking from my perspective it's it you know helps give me a focus in this time and it's it's something really positive to do each day um and during the during the pandemic actually during the first wave we had a team a team meeting where uh, amy who's our fans liaison started the day with some something motivational for us and she she read out some quotes from some disabled fans uh, from a research study we did during the first wave about the impact of not attending live sports and these were just so so impactful and just and just really reminding us of of why we do what we do um so yeah as i mentioned it's given us a chance to to reach more people and to to deliver our trainings to more people um to wider groups so that's been really positive but in terms of our the impact on our our network um so as I, as I mentioned, we did some research during the first wave on the impact of COVID-19 and, and of not attending live sports events on, disa on disabled people. And it's, it's definitely had a negative impact. Um, as I mentioned before, football's proven to be a gateway for, for greater social inclusion for disabled fans. And, and this, is, this time has just really emphasized that. And according to the, the UN's Human Rights Commission, the 
the pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on disabled people due to the responses and the barriers we reproduce in those responses to COVID-19. Um, and there's some really, really frightening results from research going on around the societal failures on disabled people at the moment. So now is a really, really critical time to, to get things right and to, as lots of people are saying, now build back better when we return to a new norm. We want to return to one that's more inclusive, more accessible. And, and there are some really great examples of, of what clubs are doing at the moment to, to continue to engage with disabled fans. Um, we all know what it feels like to, to, to be isolated, to, to not go out whenever we want, to meet whoever we want, to go wherever we want. And for, for many disabled people, that's a daily reality. So I think there's a, a greater sense of empathy now. But we need to make sure that, that continues when we do return to a new norm. And, and as I mentioned, um, we've got some good examples of disability access officers who who've been reaching out to their disabled fans regularly just to check in, see how they're doing, have a chat about football. Uh, Level Playing Field have been doing some great podcasts and, and webinars with disabled fans to, to maintain that dialogue. And uh, the DFL, the German Football League, has made audio descriptive commentary available for, for all of its matches via its website and app, which means that whilst everyone's watching, watching matches from home, blind and partially sighted fans continue to be able to follow the, the match in real time alongside the people around them. So those have been really, really great. And, and I think that those actions, those elements of, of good practice need to continue even as spectators do return. Our, our survey earlier this year showed that 15% um, of disabled respondents wouldn't return to, to stadia until there's a vaccine. So whilst some spectators might, might start returning before there is a vaccine, there are a proportion that won't. And so we need to make sure that those fans continue to feel valued um, and, and engaged. Because um, as I mentioned, football is so essential for, for so many disabled people. So yeah, in some ways it's made our, our work even more vital. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot to do. <laughs> I, I think you you touched on something there which I, I think is a, a really important point actually around a you know a, a greater a greater sense of um, empathy um and, and it you know it leads into the next question I was going to ask which is do you think um or do you envisage there being a lasting effect from the pandemic on disabled fans and their access to football but I suppose you could almost frame that you know it not just in a negative way do you think that there has been some really important lessons learned from this as well that's going to improve things following you know the end of this pandemic whenever that might be yeah absolutely I think I mean there's so many positives from from this in some ways it improves access so before the pandemic, there's a statistic that said 40% of the population benefit from good access at any given time. So that could be someone who has a broken leg or any temporary injury, uh, parents with a buggy, someone who doesn't speak the local language. But now 100% of us benefit from good access. We all benefit now from wider circulation paths, from uh, sensor-driven and automatic hand sanitizer dispensers, 
Um, we're all benefiting from working from home and flexible working policies for people who have to, you know, juggle homeschooling with um, with continuing with their work, etc. So these are things that disabled people have been asking for a long time. And we've just demonstrated how quickly we can actually implement these things and how beneficial they are for everyone. So I think I think everyone's waking up to the, the facts that we do need to future proof. I mentioned earlier about the changing demographics, not only is the number of disabled people going to double within the next 30 years, but we have an aging population. So by 2050, the number of people who are 65 and over will have doubled. The number of people who are 85 and over will have tripled. And all, you know, with age, you have greater access requirements. Um, and similarly, 85% of working age disabled people have acquired their disability and the average age of acquiring a disability is 53. So we all know that if we, if we build in an accessible way, we're gonna future-proof for the aging population, the greater number of disabled people for when we may become disabled people. And also that, you know, there's gonna be another pandemic at some point. And I think people's mindsets have changed to thinking, okay, now we have to adapt but we need to think about what's going to happen over the next you know, few decades. How can we build something that's going to be truly sustainable? And when I say a build, I don't just mean infrastructure. I mean our communications, the services we deliver, the policies we implement. They all need to be inclusive and accessible if, if we're going to thrive after this and, and during this even. Um, and at the, you know, at the same time, I recognise there's been a huge loss of revenue in everywhere um, except for zoom um, but you know and sadly accessibility isn't at the top of the list sometimes um, when trying to make positive changes and sometimes it's at the top of the list when you have to make cuts um, but I think you know the way to resolve that is just making people aware of the facts and and sharing the you know the information that disabled people in their immediate family and friends have a huge spending power. I think it's eight trillion US dollars, um, which is massive. And, and I think some of the positives we're taking at the moment is that we know that UEFA have taken our guidance on considerations for the return of spectators into account. Um, we saw uh, at the UEFA Super Cup, uh, in Budapest uh, in September, there were 45 wheelchair users who went and the feedback was really positive. Um, our guidance and, and these facts were presented yesterday to the Council of Europe. So, you know, people were listening and there's some amazing webinars being run with the Football for All Leadership Program, which is really spreading the word and reaching people wouldn't have had there not been a pandemic. So I think so long as society uses this time as a time to reflect and and to think about how we implement um, what we're trying to achieve then then it can be positive and I think to to ensure that we need to make sure that disabled stakeholders people sorry disabled stakeholders are heard and and unless we do that we're going to just make the same mistakes we made in the past and and make potentially even more so I think there, you know, we've covered quite a lot of sort of the, the big picture level. Um, so what I'd quite like to do now is just sort of dig a little deeper 
um, into a particular area of Cafe's work. Um, and you've mentioned them already, of course, um, you know, the vitally important uh, disability access officers. Um, so SD Europe agrees with Cafe that clubs should have ded dedicated and qualified DAOs as opposed to assigning the role to other personnel at football clubs who may not be suited particularly with the right competences or the knowledge required. Could you expand uh, on this a little and perhaps offer an insight into the key responsibilities of a disability access officer? Sure. Um, so just to explain, the disability access officer role came in to UEFA club licensing in 2015, so five years ago, and it's now been implemented also into over half of UEFA's national association's own club licensing criteria. And so it's great that this has expanded beyond just the, you know, the top level clubs. <clears throat> um, we... I think SD Europe and CAFE have always been really um, sure and firm in, in them, the message that these two roles are very distinct and which has been really, really helpful. And so to, to explain the, the disability access officer role is designed to support the club and its departments to ensure the provision of accessible facilities and services. Um, access and disability inclusion are such huge, huge topics and, and from all the stats that I just shared with you, there's so much work to be done in this area. Um, and to integrate these into the core practices across a club, venue or national association, it takes a lot of work, but it also takes a lot of knowledge and understanding of the different barriers that disabled people face. So yeah, it's not just about liaising with disabled fans, which was what the role the disability liaison officer was, which came prior to the disability access officer, but it's also about knowing European standards in accessible viewing areas. It's knowing your national regulations and building standards in terms of accessibility. It's, it's about knowing what services your disabled fans need, whether it be for um, autistic, people or people with sensory processing difficulties or people with dementia um, there's such you know within disability it's that's such a diverse group there are so many different access requirements so and that's not to mean it's a you know an impossible job it means it just means that it's uh, it takes a lot of work and dedication and a lot of knowledge and experience and it really takes working with disabled fans regularly, disability NGOs, experts, to really understand how we can create an environment where everyone can thrive. Um, you know, so it's also working with the comms department or the IT department to make sure that there's access information on the website, that the website itself is accessible, that information is provided um, with sufficient color contrasting for colorblind people, um, particularly you know, security information. And it's about creating a long-term strategy to, to make meaningful changes that are gonna last for a long time. Um, and also working with other clubs to learn from them, to exchange the challenges and, and, and solutions that people have found across Europe. Um, so I think to, to be effective in the role, you really have to understand the why, why you're doing this, why this is so important. And you need the time and resources to convince others because 
that does take a lot of time. Um, so, you know, I, I, I completely appreciate the reality is that there are a lot of disability access officers who have a shared role. Sometimes it's not the support to the liaison officer, sometimes it's the CSR manager or the ticketing manager. Um, and the reality is sometimes clubs don't have the resources to have two people do the two different roles. Um, and, and we recognize that, but I think the important thing is to just make sure that the disability access officer has the resources they need to do their job and that they're, they're listened to and they, you know, their, their objectives and their solutions are, are heard and actually acted upon. That's it. I think, you know, to sort of emphasize the point, you know, it's that DAOs is a very specialized role, isn't it? You know, it does require somebody who has a really thorough understanding of, of quite a, a broad spectrum of these different, uh, you know, areas involved. And, you know, as you've mentioned there, you know, at some clubs, um, that role is coupled with the support liaison officer. And it's there's a distinction, isn't there? You know, an SLO is more about you know, at its more general level, trying to be a bridge between supporters and clubs and other stakeholders. A DAO is different, it takes a different understanding and a different set of, um, you know, requirements. So, you know, it's, uh, it's it's interesting to get a much better, you know, for, for those listening to get a much better understanding of, you know, what, what being a DAO means and uh, what it comprises. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think just sort of building upon that, that's why, we have SD Europe and we have CAFE because we both play really, really essential roles and they're different areas of expertise. You know, we work together on things, but it's really important that we, we are both there to work on the missions and objectives that we have. Absolutely, absolutely. So moving on to the next question. For those less familiar, what have SD Europe and CAFE worked on together over the years? So we, we attend each other's events. SD Europe kindly invites us to their AGM every year. Um, we invite them to our conference, which only takes place every three years. Um, and I think, I think the main thing that's really, really beneficial and, and positive is around the shared knowledge and the you know, we provide feedback and ideas to each other around club licensing development. We help each other out with uh, Erasmus Plus projects or hat trick projects. And I think, so we, obviously we came five years later in terms of, well, the disability access officer role came five years later after the supporter liaison officer role. So SD Europe has been really, really great in sharing some of the lessons they've learned. So we don't have to go through the same process um, and SD Europe has been a real great support to Jochen who's our DAO project manager so when he started in 2017 SD Europe was really helpful in saying you know when you're working with this country it's better to work via this angle whereas in this country it's a different you take a different approach uh, based on the culture and and the you know the development there um, so that's been really really helpful and I think you know, this football's not necessarily an easy sphere to work in sometimes. So the more allies, the allies you can have and the more information you can share is, is just, you know, the better. It's, it's so helpful. Um, 
and we've also um, provided training to SD Europe members in the past around disability inclusion and etiquette because it's you know something that everyone should have um, and we're going to be providing some more training in the new year around disability abuse so equipping non-disabled fans with greater understanding of what disability abuse is and and empowering them to call it out when it does happen. Um, and then I think, you know, one of the biggest things is also the importance in, in both organisations delivering the message that the SLO and, and DO are different, different uh, roles and, and have different expertise. You know, the, the risk of being really cheesy here, you know, the name of this uh, podcast mini series is for a better football. And I think, you know, um, at the end of the day, a healthy collaboration like this, you know, knowledge sharing, helping each other out is only going to help work towards that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and like like you're saying, as particularly now where we're in a quite, quite a fragile world and, yeah, we build resilience by working together and and supporting each other where we can where it's appropriate absolutely so that was my final question so how I sort of like to sort of finish these off is um you know if you if there's anything in particular you'd like to leave a sort of uh leave a message if you like to finish things off so I, I, I open the floor really if it's anything you want to listen uh, leave to or you know the DAOs in your network or just supporters in general without wanting to repeat myself and you can obviously cut this out if it's too much but I think you know there's this huge as I mentioned before there's this real emphasis on building back better now um returning to this new norm um but we all have a responsibility in that to and we all need to look at ways that we can empower disabled people and use this opportunity to level the playing field and and allow disabled people to have a platform so i encourage everyone listening to think about ways that they can support disabled fans to to share their experiences and and not in a tokenistic way but in a you know a genuine way to to try and create a level playing field and you know this will be, bring huge benefits to to the clubs and supporter groups and and one way to sort of sometimes help people get their heads around this topic is is comparing it with other quality strands so I think earlier this year and we continue to do so the Black Lives Matter has really helped us uh, recognize white privilege white superiority and and you can apply that same understanding to disability so as non-disabled people we have the privilege of not having to worry about the barriers we might face just trying to get somewhere or when we get to a stadium we know we'll be able to see the pitch um, even if fans stand up in front of us um, and I think the more we can sort of recognize that privilege and understand that it's our responsibility to take those barriers away so that disabled people can enjoy the same things we enjoy um yeah the the quicker we'll make changes in society um but we've you know we've got a lot to learn and and we can only do that by giving disabled people a platform and an opportunity to take part in society. So I just wanted to end with that encouragement for, for, for everyone to see, to, yeah, to, to ask themselves, how can they, what part can they play in this? 
So and a massive thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> oh, it's it's our pleasure uh, to speak with you. And I think, you know, what a superb way to to finish that off there. A really, a really thought-provoking notion there. Um, and hopefully uh, those listening will be able to take this on board, you know, uh, as a supporter or if it's somebody at a football club or in any way. I think that's great. Uh, thank you, Joanna. Can I say one more thing? Sorry. I'll be my guest. Be my guest. <laughs> um. You mentioned the, if there's anything we want to say to the disability access officers. Um, so just a massive thank you because it's a really difficult job um, and it's tiring and disability access officers don't always have the resources or the support. So we just, yeah, it's CAFE, on behalf of CAFE, a big thank you to the disability, ox, uh, sorry, disability access officers and, and all the champions and access and inclusion for continuing to do the work that they do and, and, and for sharing the, the solutions they're finding and, and the challenges that they're facing because it's only in this way that we'll, we can build a better future and a better game. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Please do listen to the other podcasts in this mini-series in addition to the ones that we've previously published. To find out more information about SD Europe, head to www.sdeurope.eu.